Father, we lift up your name in this place today because you are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. You are the first and the last. You are and you are to come. God, may we not miss that today, that you are our everything. And Father, if we're putting other things before you today, may that change today, God. May we see, God, that you want our best. You want our allegiance. You want our commitment. You want even our filthy rags, Lord. You want them. And so, Lord, I thank you today that we have the privilege to serve you, worship you, glorify your name. And I pray today that I know um, there are those in this place that are going through tough things right now. I just want to lift up the Cobb family and um, Father, just their loss there. And just thank you for his life. And may you comfort that family, God. Give them the strength that only you can give, God. And we thank you. We thank you for knowing that this earthly life, this vapor, as the scripture says, is not the end. And we will see our loved ones face to face. But most of all, God, we will see your face. We have the mind of Christ. We look forward to that day, Father. Father, for others in this place, I know there are struggles, whether it's problems at work, problems in the family, problems. You, whatever, you know every situation, God. You, you know exactly what each person is, is, is facing today in this place. And Lord, you're a great God, and you're big enough to handle those problems. And your word speaks to us in how to handle those problems. Father, may we apply it. May your word be living in our lives that we can go through those tough things. May we know that you're with us, God. Lord, for us as a church, as we look for mission, uh, to be on mission, as we look to live out that mission, Father, as we look to reach more for Christ, may we truly have a heart for that, God. Break us today. Break us of our pride and our comfortability in that. Show us from your word what you want, Father. May it speak to our hearts. May we be willing to listen today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. How many of you love a good story? I mean, like the power of story, right? We talk about that all the time, but you know, there are just good stories, right? I mean, there are stories that you remember for a long time. From years ago, even because that story was so good, whether it was, whether it was really funny, or whether it was a very tough story, but God showed you some great things through it. Maybe it was a story that just emotionally connected with you. But we tend to all remember good stories, and I don't think that's by accident because. We learn and we grow through things like story. When you think about Jesus during the course of his ministry, Jesus told what is called what we call parables. Now parables, as, you, as we're going to look at over these next few weeks from Matthew 13, um, what is a parable? What does that mean? What, what's the purpose of a parable? And why did Jesus tell them so often? 
Well, a parable is a story with a spiritual point. It's a story that illustrates spiritual truth. It's a story with a meaning beyond what would be the surface level meaning. And for example, as we look like today's parable is about a farmer sowing seeds, Jesus didn't tell this story so that listeners would know how to farm as much as that would be fun. He was doing it to teach eternal truths. And so why did Jesus speak in parables? Well, the answer might sound surprising at first. He actually tells us in the scripture. And so we're starting a new series today called The Parables. We're going to be looking at Matthew 13. We're going to look at the first part of this today. But I want to begin at verses 10 through 13. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. Matthew 13, beginning at verse 10. Because here's his answer for why he taught this way. So the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And here was his answer. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Now, it's real quick to kind of read this and kind of misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying I speak in parables so that some people will not be able to understand. What he's actually saying is he says, I speak in parables because some people will not understand any other kind of teaching. That's why I do it. In other words, there are some people who hear the truth, but they don't really hear it. And so maybe a parable will open their ears to understand it and their hearts. You see, Jesus didn't come... As some people want to try to twist and say, Jesus didn't come to hide the truth from people. No, he came to reveal the truth. He came to set people free with the knowledge of the truth. And parables give us insight into truth. There's something about comparing the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed or comparing the word of God to a farmer sowing seeds that makes it easier to understand and to apply to your life. But here's the catch, if you want to say that. We have to be what I would call spiritually sensitive to hear what God is trying to tell us. And through that, we can grow. So let's look at this first parable and what is Jesus trying to teach? Let's begin in verse 3. That's amazing here is here's Jesus and He was sitting by the lake, and all of a sudden the crowds began to gather around him. And so he says, I'm going to get in a boat. And so he goes out in front of them all sitting there on the edge of the lake. He's here on this boat, and he begins to teach. And here's what he said. He told them many things in, in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. 
But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Now other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Now, this really is an easy parable to interpret. Because Jesus tells us right here the very meaning in detail to us. When we look at this, Jesus is explaining, we kind of see this reverse image of how we rightly respond to the Word of God. How we are to respond to it as it is presented to us. And I want to show you four things about that, the very power of the seed, the Word of God today. The first thing I want you to see this morning is that if you seek to understand it, if you seek to understand the Word of God, it can change your heart. If you will seek to understand it, it will change your heart. Now jump down with me because this parable goes on. Look at verse 18 with me. Now listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the good soil, hears the good word, and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now, let's, let's just jump, look through this a little bit here. Verse 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it. Okay, so what it's talking about here is they hear it, they don't understand it. Now, we have to make something clear about this because a lot of people want to twist this. But this is simply it. When we talk about understanding the Word of God, it's not like trying to understand quantum physics. All right, here's why. Because that is an intellectual capacity kind of thing. The ability to understand the Word of God is not a function of intellect. It's not about knowledge or how smart you are. It's a function of the will of the heart. That's the way God designed us. It's a choice that we have to make. It's a choice that we have to say, do I want to be spiritually perceptive? Do I want to hear what God is saying to me? Do I want to hear it and let it penetrate and apply my life? Here's the point. If you want to be, you can. If you want to understand the ways of God, you can. God designed you to do that. (laughs) It is. It's a matter of choice. How do you know, Russ? Let me give you a good example. 
How is it that two people can sit in a church pew all their lives hearing the same messages, hearing the same scriptures, taking the same, taking the same Bible studies together, all those things, and one person comes out radically transformed by the truth in the Bible and, and the Word of God and the image of Christ, and the other doesn't experience the slightest change of character? Here's why. One person is seeking to understand the Word of God, the other person isn't. If you choose not to understand, look what verse 19 says. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. The evil one comes, snatches away what was sown in their heart. What does this mean? It means it didn't take root. That he can snatch it away. It never takes root. It never does the work in your heart that it was intended to do. And your heart never gets changed. But if you choose to understand it, then it does take root in your heart. And you are changed. You're made new. I want to tell you a story of a man by the name of John Wesley. Many of you know who this guy is. Great 18th century preacher, fundamental in the Methodist movement, spent his whole life riding on horseback through England and the United States preaching the gospel. And there was one night that he was stopped. And he was stopped and he was demanded by this man, he says, give me your money or your life. And so Wesley gave him what he had. And as the man turned to leave him and run away, John Wesley said, wait, I have one more thing for you. And he said, my friend, you may live to regret this sort of life. And if you ever do, then remember that the blood of Jesus can cleanse you of your sin. That's all he said. So the man runs off into the night. And Wesley kept doing what he always did, had always done. Now listen to this. Years later, years later, at the close of a Sunday evening service, Wesley was preaching, and a stranger steps forward up to him, and he wanted to speak to Mr. Wesley. And Wesley finally was surprised to realize it was the same man who had robbed him years before and this man says I'm no longer a thief in fact now I am a successful businessman and he told Wesley how that very short one sentence sermon he had preached to him on the night of the robbery had taken root in his heart and led to his conversion in Christ and Wesley said, no, my friend, not, not to me. Don't thank me. But it's the precious blood of Christ which cleanses us from sin. You see, how was it that that simple little sermon changed that man's life? It was the power of the seed. It was the power of that message because he decided to hear it. He decided to listen. He decided to understand. There may be somebody here today that 
you in your life have never really wanted to try to understand the word of God and let it change your heart and let Christ have your heart. And here's what I know. When you make the choice to seek to understand the word of God, you will experience a change of heart. I've yet to this day, any time that I read the word of God or I hear the word of God, I can turn on the radio and I hear the word of God that it does not change my heart. And we're not talking just about salvation. For some of you, that's where you need to begin. You need to seek to understand that Christ came to save you and give him your heart, give him your life. Not just pray a prayer, not just walk an aisle, but truly surrender to the King of kings and the Lord of lords because one day you will stand before him. And maybe you're saved, but there's others that we're talking about spiritual growth in your life. And you're like, Russ, I'm not getting anywhere. And maybe it's because your heart is not seeking to understand. Because when you seek to understand, when you listen with your heart, you experience a change of the heart. That's the power of the seed, the word of God. I want to show you something else. If you let the seed take root, you'll find that you'll have the wisdom and the strength to handle your problems. I love this. Who in here's got problems? Who didn't raise your hand? We're gonna let you we're gonna do a little testimony. No. No, we got problems, right? We all got problems. And look at this, look at what happens in verse 20 and 21. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So here's a picture at first, man. On fire, gets it, ready to rock and roll. They get along fine, but all of a sudden the problems come and a wilting begins to happen. They believe the word. They're following Christ with their heart. Let me share this. I have done funerals for both committed Christians and obviously those that are non-Christian. And there's a remarkable difference of how those families deal with death. I have done, you know, been in hospital rooms where I've had committed Christians and non-Christians who are facing cancer Death is imminent, and there is a remarkable difference in how they face that illness. I mean, I could go on and on of both. Committed Christians and non-Christians who faced everything from divorce, death, uh, rebellious children, sickness, loneliness, poverty, failure. And there's a difference in in the way that they each face these. Now listen, the Word of God never promised that we will live without problems. We talk about this all the time. But it does promise that we can live above our problems. Write that down. Live above your problems. Because here's what I know. The people that I've seen in my journey of faith around me that are truly in the word of God, that are faithful to the word of God, the people I've known in my life who've been consistently able to do what I just explained, living above our problems, are people who are committed to the principles of the word of God. 
The more you hear the Word of God, the more you know the Word of God, the more it takes root in your life, and the better you are equipped to then face the struggles and the challenges that life brings your way. I know, as you already alluded to, we've all got problems, and you've probably all been there where, man, you've got a tough thing, and you're like, how many have done this? Probably you did this morning with time change. Man, I can't believe this is happening right now. I don't have time for this. Why is this happening to me? Right? Come on, you know you've done it. Or man, you think things like, man, as hard as I work, why can't I just have enough money to do the things that I need to do? Why is this so hard? And I could go on and on, but you have those constant kind of day-to-day battles wearing you down. And let's be honest, we might say, man, I I wonder if this living for Christ thing is is really working out here. (laughs) Because this stuff's so hard. Well, when you read the Word of God, and by the way, you don't have to be a a theologian or a scholar, right? When you read the Word of God, you come across passages like 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Woo! That'd preach itself, right? You see, the bottom line is, and this is not about to make you feel guilty about quiet times or knowing the word, but man, when we learn the seed, we hear the seed, we walk in the seed, the power of the seed begins to change us and to move us. And as we face things like problems, it makes things radically different. God will speak to you through his word. You will see there's a reason that the things you're going through, that you're not the only person in this world that's going through those problems. In fact, having problems, according to the Bible, is nothing strange. But there's a reason for your problems, and we don't always know what that is, but here's what we do know, is that through them we can what? Identify with Christ. That's what taking root, the Word of God taking root in our lives, that we can find the strength, the wisdom to deal with what we're going through. And how do you make it take root? How do you allow it to take root? Things like reading it, repetition, memorizing it, meditating on it, learning it. Why do you think that biblical counseling works? Because all I do, any counselor does, is get a person in the room and say, let me show you what God's Word says about this. Hear what it says and apply it in your life. People walk away going, that's incredible, you're magical. No. You're just now doing what the Word says. That's the power of the seed. It will help us. Don't neglect that. Third, if you keep it as a priority in your life, it will help you keep your other priorities straight. If you keep the power of the seed as a priority in your life, it will help you keep your priorities straight. Look at verse 22. 
the seed falling among the thorns, refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. I got to be honest, I wanted to preach the whole sermon on this point, on this verse right here today. No, that doesn't mean I'm going to go for 40 more minutes right here. But look at this. They hear it and accept it, but over a period of time, they allow other things to become more important. Things. Maybe you even know what things for you. Things like, Careers, money, advancement, nice home, ultimate vacation, television, relationship, on and on and on. These things become more important. They become more important. They crowd out the word of God in our lives. Write this down. If you're not absolutely committed to your relationship with Christ, you cannot experience the fullness of the life he has to offer. If you're not absolutely committed to your relationship with Christ, you cannot experience the fullness of life that he has to offer. I'll tell you a story real quick. A guy by the name of Jim Dennison. He was a, a he served a lot of summer missionary trips, those kind of things. One time he was in college, he was serving as a summer missionary in East Malaysia. And while he was there, during one of their worship services, a teenage girl came forward to announce that she was ready to surrender her life to Christ and be baptized. Now, Dennison being there, he's just, he's just there worshiping on the mission trip. He's there sitting in the, in, the, in the congregation there. During that service, he looked over and noticed that there, were, there was luggage, <laughs> worn-out luggage over along the wall. And so after... The girl coming forward and sharing about her decision, the pastor of the small church was sharing her story a little bit as she stood there. And he was shared with the congregation. He said, her father said that if she was to get baptized, she could never go home again. And so she brought her luggage. How many of us would do that? How many of us would give up our comfort? How many of us would truly surrender? Because this young lady understood what comes first in life. It is with the same urgent sense of priority that we have to live every day. America is hard to evangelize. Hardest place in the world. Because our hearts are so hard with our things. When we think about our relationship with God, which includes hearing, obeying his word, those things are to come first. Everything else is, has got to be less important. Now, lean in here with me. I can't help but go back to this. I shared this back at State of the Church. Just in our Baptist association in the northern Kentucky region, 
22 churches did not baptize one person in the year of 2016. Not one. We were at an evangelism meeting on Monday, and the guy leading the breakout or the, uh, the leadership IQ, he said, Folks, that's a problem. If we have churches that aren't baptizing anybody at all a year, that is a problem. Guess how many we've baptized in 2017? You guessed it. Zero. Our Christmas decorations are still blocking the steps up here because we hadn't needed to move them to fill the baptistry. We're getting too comfortable. Or should I say, maybe we've gotten too comfortable. The mission of the church and his believers has not changed, and that is first to reach people for Christ, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then disciple them. We're not doing any of that. <laughs> We're coming here, we're coming together as the church, which we are supposed to do. We're gathering in his name, we worship, we study his word. Those are all wonderful things. But man, what is this going to look like if we're not baptizing anyone every year? We're going to have more people passing on to heaven, praise God, but none coming back into the church. When I think about this scripture of verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it what? Unfruitful. How else do you think we're unfruitful? Because our love for stuff is choking the word. Our love for finding our spot in our pew so that we can get our spot and get our coffee and get set, is more, that means more to us than it does anything else. We need Christ. You need Christ. But there are many others that are going to hell that need Christ. And we need the power of the seed, and we don't need to let those things distract us. Because I'm telling you folks, your career will not stand before Christ. Your house won't. How many dogs you got won't. <laughs> but that will. Man, I don't want to be guilty of that. And as your pastor, I don't want to stand before to say, Highland Hills just sat around for a lot of years. We can't let stuff keep us from our mission. And we need the same mission together. Or we'll never accomplish it. It can't depend on one evangelistic person in the church. We need everybody. I will never have the impact as your pastor that you have with the people you work with. I will never have the impact that you will have with your neighbors, whoever, fill in the blank, 
I don't put that on you to pass the responsibility because I ultimately I have to stand before God as a leader and be accountable for that. Man, I want to know that we're on the team and you're trying to help us. I probably should dismiss right there, but I got one more point. If you live in the power of the seed, your life will become one big harvest. How do I know this? Look at this. Look at verse 23. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word, understands it, and this is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now watch this. How many have ever seen a job that is virtually the same job, but two people get it and they're paid totally differently? I'll give you an example. Let's take, let's take baseball, professional baseball. They all are very good ball players, right? If you're making it to the professional league at all, you're a good ball player. But why is it you can play the same position in the minor leagues and make somewhere in the ballpark of what, 40 grand at best? But if you make it to the top level, and I know talent factors into this, but you make it to the top level, you're playing for Major League Baseball making millions of dollars in your salary. Same job, way different pay. See, when you think about it, it has a lot to do, yes, with talent, but... I'm so thankful in the spiritual life that <laughs> that's not what defines success. Success in the spiritual life is commitment, obedience, the willingness to put God's word to work. Because those who do, those that hear the very things that I'm talking about today and hear from his truth and apply those, those who do will reap a huge harvest. And it's not money, it's not fame, it's not any of those things, it's the lies that we touch. It's the lies that make a difference. It's crazy to me that today I still have youth that I helped lead to Christ years ago reach out on Facebook. Why? It's because I took time to invest and make a difference in those kids' lives. You know what I love about this? According to the word and what I believe, it's a guaranteed return. If we will pour our life into living according to the principles of God's word, our life will not only become a huge harvest, it will change the lives of others. It could be countless others on the journey. And what that means for you is no matter what your job is, you might be a teacher here today, you might be a volunteer at youth group, you might be a businessman, you might be a coach, whatever it might be, if you will let God's word take hold of your life, he will make your life into a huge harvest. But we've gotten so comfortable with doing what we do. Again, the things that we get comfortable doing are not going to stand the test of what God's going to look upon our heart and our lives. He's not going to look at us and say, whoa, man, you did so good down here on earth. Well done, my good and faithful servant. No. He's going to look at eternity impact that you made. How many people did you reach for Christ? How many people did you disciple? How many people did you pray for? That is what is going to stand. One more real point here of this. Some of us need to quit being seed chokers and start living in the power of the seed. 
are you choking the seed in this place? Are you choking the seed with your preferences? Are you choking the seed with your attitude? Are you choking the seed with all the other things that you think might be more important instead of remembering what the mission is of our church and every church should be? Maybe God's trying to teach you something there today. We've got to be fruitful in the gospel mission, reaching others for Christ, helping them follow in baptism, walking with them in the path of discipleship. I want to start having stories up here every week from baptisms that are happening to you telling about, that we hear the backstory of how you met a person in the life of our church, and they're here today because of you. Who wants to be up first? And it's not about competition. I I can't wait to see you up here. Summarize, and then we're going to pray. Jesus told this parable so that we would not neglect the word of God and we would not neglect what we're supposed to be about. We need to not miss the danger of neglecting God's word in our lives and the benefits of applying it in our lives. Because when we don't, we miss our mission. We lose our mission. We lose our focus. Our hearts and others won't be changed. Our problems will then destroy us. Our priorities will never get straightened out. There will be so many other things that are more important than what God's calling us to do. And we'll be unproductive. But I firmly believe as we look at this, if you seek to understand his word, it will change your heart and it will change your attitude. It will change your focus. If you allow his word to take root, you will have wisdom and strength to face whatever might come your way. And if you will keep his word as a priority in your life, it will help you keep the things that need to be first, the right priorities in your life. And if you live according to his word, it will cause you to experience a huge harvest. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. When I was 14 years old, I never forget as I began to see how God's word began to pierce my heart. The very power of the seed began to just penetrate my heart. And a part of that was because I was willing to try to understand it. I was willing to try to listen to it. And I'll never forget when I finally understood John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That one verse showed me that, man, there was no way. There was no way I was going to earn it. There was no way that I was going to fix things in my power or my way. As I understood that verse, I finally came to a point of saying, I must surrender my life. I need to repent. I'm a sinner. And I need to turn to Christ and say, Lord, forgive me. Repent of my sin. Ask for his forgiveness. Repent means to turn from that way. Turn away from that life of sin and turn towards God. 
And so maybe you're here today. And I'm just simply going to ask you, we're going to sing. Will you stand up? Will you come out? Stand right up, walk down that aisle. Because God's led you to this moment today. You don't need to be embarrassed by that. It's, it, you're responding to the very power of the seed. Maybe for you in this place, you're a believer, but you're like, Russ, that's me. Some of that's me. I've gotten too comfortable. I'm not walking in the power to help with my problems. I'm not walking in the power of the seed of, of leading people to Christ. No one's getting baptized, and I'm not helping that. What's God speaking to your heart about? Please don't miss this. Don't choke this out, what God's showing you today. Father God, I thank you for your word, and I pray we respond all over this place as we sing. May we have boldness in this place today, whether it's confession, whether it's, Father, being humble today. Be humble to say, man, I am, I am not helping the mission of this church. Whatever it is, Father, you use this time for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing. You respond. You come all over this place. This altar's open. We got prayer warriors down here. If you want someone to pray with you, you come. <laughs>